Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and we might be having a little technical difficulties with the Skype today, but we'll um, call in the spirits and see if they can help out. Um, so I call out to the ancestors. I call out to all of those who are good and true and beautiful in each of our lines, to all of those who will listen to this show at any time. I call out to your ancestors as well. I call out to those of our guest, John Lockley. I call out to my own. I call out to the ancestors of our teachings, those that we follow in our lives. I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to gather round, that we might be held well in our proceedings here today, that we might be inspired and guided to learn from those who have gone before us and to go forward in the way that only the living can, innovating where innovation is necessary and holding true to the old ways where necessary and opening up to possibilities that have never existed before because that is what the descendants are calling for. So we call out to the ancestors to gather around us here today and hold us well. We call out to that most beautiful and ancient ancestor, the earth. We call out to the earth, the planet, the being, the dreamer. We call out to she who dreamt all of life into existence as we understand it. We give thanks to her for the wonder of her dreaming, for the beauty of life and the interconnectedness, the exquisite magic of an ecosystem that works well. And we ask the energy of the earth to come in us here today, to come up into us and help us to understand the wisdom of manifestation. How can we live on this earth interconnected with all other forms of life in a good way? And we give thanks to the earth for this opportunity to be, for all that has been, all that is, and all that will be in each of our lives. And may we learn from the what has been in our own life. May we use this moment now to create and may we go forward in a way that brings our own gifts to the world. And with our feet firmly planted on the earth and the ancestors gathered round, I call out to the sky energies above. And I ask each one of you to reach up all the way up to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you know that power, know it and call it down. Call it down into your bodies, into our circle here today, into our proceedings. We call out to this energy to bring us blessing, to bring us protection, to bring us inspiration and illumination and generosity, to help to light the way for how we go forward together in a way that is rich and good and abundant and beneficial for all living things. So with the sky above and the earth below coming together within each one of us, we call out finally to the energy of the heart. And we call out to the heart that we might know our heart path in this life while we are still young enough to walk it and enjoy that adventure and to enjoy the fruits of those labors. We call out to the heart and its special ability to merge within us the passions of the belly that carry our divine purpose. The wisdom of the mind to bring clarity and understanding of how we are going to do this in our life. And to merge those energies in the heart that we might do what we do in a good way. And do in a way that respects all living things. And so with these energies called in here today, may these proceedings go forward in a way that we can hear what needs to be heard. And that we will speak what needs to be spoken. And that all of this unfolds in a way that is good for all living things. So I give thanks to those who make this show possible. Thanks to the listeners who donate that this show can stay on the air free for all who choose to listen. I give thanks to Mark and Son and Susan and Gordon. And I ask that those of you who find any of these shows meaningful, those of you that find this show today meaningful, to extend in some way, to donate in some way some small amount to the show so that the energy circles round and cycles through and the things that matter to our heart keep moving and connecting and flowing through our lives. 
And for those of you who wonder how you might do that, you can go to the Why Shamanism Now site, whyshamanismnow.com, and just click on the support button. You can um, offer any amount, large or small, that you choose to, and every dollar does go to keeping the show on the air. So with great thanks, um, I introduce our guest today, John Lockley. John, thank you for being with us today. It's my pleasure, uh, Christina. So John is one of the first white men in recent history to become a fully initiated Sangoma, which is probably the closest translation to shamanism, shaman, which is loosely stolen from another country. So it's all a little bit confusing. But um, Sangoma means seer. It means prophet. It means dreamer. And, it, and also, they, these people are the traditional healers of South Africa. Now, for more information about John, you can um, find his website at www.african-shaman.com, african-shaman.com. And we've um, invited John to the show today for a couple reasons. The main one that is most important is that John will be traveling outside of South Africa and England, Europe, where he often teaches and will be here in the United States. Um, His first event is on September 24th in Stony Ridge, New York, and events will continue through September and October in various sites in the United States, and then in November in Mexico. Um, So instead of going through all of these events, which are many and rich and beautiful, they're all in different locations and have different contact numbers. So just so we don't spend too much time going over the details and that I don't get the details incorrectly for you, we've made arrangements for you to be able to contact Julie Beat. Um, via email and she'll send you an email that has all of the information of all of the classes and all of the contact information correctly. So if you are interested um, in finding out what John is doing here in the U.S., please contact Julie Beat at Julie, B-E-E-T, J-U-L-I-E, Julie Beat, B-E-E-T, at Comcast.net. And she just let her know that you would like the information about John's visit and she will send it. And finally, I want to acknowledge the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. It is through their donation that we are having this show today. John is our first interview um, in this new merging of Why Shamanism Now and the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. And all of the Society of Shamanic Practitioners shows will be interviews with contemporary shamans who are meeting the challenge in their world today um, of how can we live in that ancient role where we were meant to tend the balance of things as shamans. And so in these shows, we'll explore how these contemporary shamans are doing that in their own lives and in their own countries um, around the world. Um, And if you'd like to find more information about the Society of Shamanic Practitioners, their website is shamansociety.org. It's a little tricky to find sometimes, but it's because there's a whole lot of businesses that have SSP as their call letters. So it's shamansociety.org. So this show is also live for those of you that haven't ever all just listen on downloads all the time. The show is a live show and you are welcome to call in to ask us questions at 512-772-1938 or push the Skype a button on the co-creator network site and you can just Skype in and ask a question or you can just email your question to me at Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A at lastmaskcenter.org. Um, and the co-creator site is co-creatornetwork. And all this information is right there on that um, first network page. So with all of that uh, details gone over, let's get back to John. So um, John, thank you so much for being with us here today. And we could probably spend three hours today talking just about your story alone. Um, But I was wondering if you could reflect back for a moment and just share with us, you know, as a contemporary man, 
growing up in mm-hmm. South Africa. Yep. What are the these pivotal points that moved you to the place that you are now as a practitioner? Well, I suppose the pivotal points would be the dreams that I received as a child and the dreams that called me. And then after that was the profound illness which I received, which in our culture is known as the Twaza, or the calling illness, or the shamanic calling illness. So um, that was my pivotal moment where I was brought down to my knees and I didn't have much choice but to listen to the, the dreams and what I was being told. Hello. We are... Um... We're having a little bit of trouble with the Skype. So what we might do is um, take a little break and change our technology here for a moment and come back to that question just to make sure that we really get it. Because I think it's important for people to really understand um, how challenging it is for contemporary people to find their way in the way that you have. So let's take a break for here real quick. We'll do a little um, technology magic and see if we can come back so people will be able to hear you better. Thanks a lot, John. All right, everyone. We're very sorry. We had um, unexpected technical difficulties today. And for those of you that were thinking it was you and your computer, no, it was us and ours. So please feel free to just um, oh, take a nice deep breath with us. And we're going to continue. So the question that we asked John um, uh, when we realized that our connection really wasn't very good was we were asking John, what were the moments that really were pivotal in bringing him into his practice as a Sangoma today. So, John, why don't you go ahead and just kind of repeat the answer that you gave before and, and anything else you might want to add. Hi, Christina. Um, what I was saying to you was that the pivotal moments really were my dreams and the calling which came to me through the dreams. And in addition to that uh, was a calling illness or the twas, which is what you call it, shamanic or calling illness that you get in Southern Africa and also other parts of the world. And uh, it was actually the calling or the illness that precipitated me to search deeper, to meditate deeper, and to listen to the to my inner guidance. So that's really what uh, precipitated me on my road to becoming. And so then, tell us a little bit then of your story. So you're so you're moving along, and then sort of what happened that really brought you into the actual training that you received. Well, my story is very long, Christina. So I suppose I'll try and shorten it in the best way possible. Yeah. Basically, in terms of being a traditional Sangoma, or you could say a traditional shaman, the most important thing is, is for most of us, you're actually born, you're born uh, Sangoma. So my mother was, my mother came from Ireland and she had uh, dreams and visions in Ireland and Dublin to leave Ireland and uh, to go to Africa and work with African elephants, uh, African wildlife. So she listened to that call and then she met my father in Zimbabwe. And then when I was born, I was born with um, that stillbirth around the eyes in a particular way, which we call clay, which is one of the marks of other Sangoma. At that time, it was apartheid South Africa, so it was quite unusual. And I remember my mother saying to the doctor that I looked like a little abber, a little aborigine. <laughs> Hmm. And anyway, so everything was okay for me when I was growing up, but at the age of 16 or 17, I started seeing very, very strong dreams. Um, very strong dreams. And one particular dream I was looking for, I was looking for gold uh, in South America, and I actually found gold. But when I woke up, I realized the gold wasn't literal gold, it was metaphorical gold. And I also realized that in order for me to find gold, or you could say the spirit of all things, the great spirit, in order for me to find that inside myself, I was told that I needed to work with death. I needed to come close to death and work with dying. So at that 
stage of the South African army. I mean, the South African, uh, the old government was apartheid, and many, many young men, white soldiers, were conscripted into the army. And that was my, my destiny was to go into the army. So I chose to go into the medical corps so that I could heal people rather than carrying a gun and shooting. So I went into the medical corps when I was accepted to go in there. And the first assignment I had was working in a military hospital and helping to rehabilitate soldiers from the Angolan War. Now, our Angolan War was very, very similar to the Vietnam War for you in America. And most of my soldiers were special forces, and most of them were African soldiers. So that's how my journey began, because every day I'd go into the ward and I'd say to them, guys, did you have any dreams? And they'd all, always be quiet, until one day a sergeant said to me, Private, come over here. And I said to him, yes, sergeant. He said, please, don't ask me if you've had any good dreams again. Can you hear me again, Christina? Mm-hmm. Hello? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, okay, good. He said to me, please, um, don't ask me if I've had any good dreams. And I said to him, why is that, sir? And he said, because in our culture, dreams are very, very sacred. And in my dreams, I get to see who's going to live in my platoon and who's going to die. He said, my ancestors showed me many things in my dreams. And my, sometimes my soldiers don't want to listen to me. And I still see who's going to live going to die. And he said, you see, in our culture, the dreams are a very, very sacred thing. So I had to do that. And I, uh, I worked more with, with the rehabilitation of the soldiers. And then I was moved into the neurology unit because I wanted to work more closely with, you could say, with death because that was my... That was my, my vision. So I worked in neurology, and sadly enough, that was my destiny. I, I managed to nurse some soldiers who did die. And that propelled me into studying Zen meditation in a very serious way. And then when I went to my first Zen retreat, I received my, my, my apprenticeship dream. And in my mm-hmm. apprenticeship dream, I was, I was shown the process of Goma Man. Um, in the histories, I mean, in the past, maybe in the 1800s or so, and it was like it was like being in this world. It was a very vivid, very lucid dream. And he showed me the future. He showed me what was going to happen. And five years later, that did happen. And also, he he started to train me. And I said to him, "Teach me about suffering. Teach me about nature. Teach me about, about all these things." Because I, I'm only 18 years old, and I've already lost. I've already lost. And I've seen a lot of suffering and I've seen a lot of illness. Show me another way of healing. Show me another way that I can be of assistance to this world. So he showed me the vision of the next five years, what's going to happen to friends of mine. And then he said to me, I will teach you, but you need to realize one thing. And I said, What is that, sir? And he said, You need to realize in order to become a Sangoma, in order to become a healer, you yourself are going to suffer a great deal. And I said to him, but I really have suffered. I've already seen illness and death, and I'm only 18. He said, okay, fair enough. And then when I woke up the next morning, I had boils all over my legs, and I contracted tick bite fever. So then I went from one illness to the next, to the next, to the next, physical illnesses. And I, because of the apartheid South Africa, I wasn't able to go into the townships and train. So I was sent in my dreams, my visions, I was directed to go and work with uh, Chinese monks or Korean monks in South Korea. So I went there and I had Chinese medicine, I had acupuncture, I was taught how to meditate, I was taught energy exercises, and I still listened to my dreams. And then I, when I, then I went back to South Africa and apartheid fell in 1994, and I studied psychology. And then in 1997, I was doing my honours year in psychology, 
and we were doing some work in the township, and we were, we were working with AIDS awareness projects. And my professor, who's who's, who's primarily focused on health psychology, he was interviewing a herbalist, a traditional healer, in the township, and he said to the to the healer, "And how do you heal the people?" And he said to them, "Well, we put tobacco onto the waters, and we wait to see if the ancestors accept the tobacco." Mm-hmm. And this was a little bit too much for my professor. And, and he stopped the interview. And I turned to the the, the translator, who is Kortosa, and I said to him, please, please, take me to Sangoma, who you yourself would go to, someone that you trust. I want to have an interview. Because I felt the great depth in what the man was talking about, and I felt my dreams, and I felt I was finally in a place that people would understand the dreams that I was having. So the translator or the interpreter said to me, John, my, my son has been very sick, and my wife has taken my son to a very good Sangoma lady who's been treating him very well. I will organize for you to see her tomorrow, to have an interview with her tomorrow. So that night, my teacher-to-be dreamt that the great spirit came to her, and said to her that she needs to prepare herself to train someone from another culture to become a fully-fledged Sangoma like herself. So then the next day, I walked through her gates. I'd never met her before. And I walked with the, the interpreter and my friend, Sid. And I also walked, walked through the gates with my girlfriend at the time. And she looked at me and she knew. She said I was the one she had to train. And then when we sat down and we had the divination session, she described the last seven years of my life. And she said, what took you so long to come to me? And a tear started rolling down her face. And I said to her, mom, mother, I said, apartheid. And she said, ah, tikoh, kofiyam, ah, betu. And tears flowed down her face. And she said, oh, God, oh, God, I'm so sorry. We almost dead. We almost lost you because the illness got so strong for you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then I started training. I started training with her. And she said to me, she said to me, do you want to become a Sangoma? And I said well, to her, what does it mean to become a Sangoma? She said, first of all, you're going to stop being so sick. And second of all, you're going to be able to heal many, many people. So she said to me, do you want to become a Sangoma? I said, yes, I do. She said, right, tomorrow, come, and I'll give you your first white beads, your first ceremonial uh, outfit. So that night, I went back to uh, where I was staying, and we had a meditation center. And I, uh, and in the morning, when we woke up, I saw outside that there was a neatly folded goatskin which was left outside where I was staying at the time. And we rushed back to my teacher. And we said, Mom, this is what we found. And none of the, none of the dogs touched this goat skin. And she looked at it, she felt it, and she said, She said, the ancestors have agreed to train you. And that's how it went for me. So I trained and apprenticed with her for, for about 10 years, over 10 years. And I did all the traditional initiation stages and apprentice uh, all the stages that we, that we do to become a, a fully-fledged and senior process um, in Well, John, I think that there, there are many people um, who, on one hand, listen to your story and go, oh, wouldn't that have been such a relief to have had a teacher and a tradition to follow and to be recognized and acknowledged, you know, the goat skin to be acknowledged by the ancestors and all of this. But at the same time, um, it's a real challenging path. There's, um, yes. it, 
Yes, it's very challenging. Do you know something, Christina, in, in our culture, in the Torsi culture, it's it's not considered something for the average Joe Soap to become a Sangoma. It's not seen as a glamorous thing at all. In fact, a lot of the family members and people in the community dissuade their children and wives and everyone becoming Sangomas because it's seen as such a great sacrifice and it's such a painful, painful um, calling and destiny that they dissuade members of the community to become Sangoma. But only once the person shows the calling and the illness and that there's no other way do the members of the community relent and say, okay, well, there's no other way, so become Sangoma. But it's certainly not glamorized like it is in the Western world or the dominant culture. Well, and, and there may be some some problems in that whole glamorization because I think there's a certain um, a certain point gets missed, which is, you know, which is this whole pathway that, you know, without that suffering, I think it's possible that, you know, no one would want to. But it gets to a point where it, it's a soul suffering. I mean, it, manif- it can manifest physically, but it's a soul suffering. And there comes a point where the person s- sort of has to give in because there isn't any other way. Like you just said, there's no other way this, this, this deep pain, this deep suffering is going to go. And so there you go. But this idea, I think, that we can elect this because this is what we want to do. Um, is is fraught with problems uh, because you know the, the the other piece here that I wanted to talk about with around your initiation and your training and your story is you know what are the parts of that traditional training that really cooked you and that really made you I mean I'm assuming and I probably shouldn't assume this but what would you be today Have you ever thought you know who would you be today if you hadn't met her if you hadn't found her if you hadn't done the training who would you be? Well, I mean, it was my destiny. This is what I was I was called to do from the time that my mother left Ireland in Dublin in the 60s. It was my destiny to meet her. It's very, very strong. Mm-hmm. So for me, there's no question. This is what I was going to become. And there's many, many signs of it as I was growing up. And so I became what I was meant to become. So there's, you know, there's, there's no, no question about it. So um, it's a little bit like... The, I know probably in the States you're quite familiar to Tibetan Buddhism. So when you become a high-ranking Sangoma or senior Sangoma in our culture, it's got a lot of very close parallels to the Tibetan, the Tibetan um, Buddhism and becoming lamas and having to find their teacher and that kind of thing. So in some ways there was there was no choice for me. Yeah, I know. I understand that. I guess I'm just. I think that there's one thing that people don't really see is that if, if this if this destiny wasn't walked for some reason, like if apartheid hadn't gone away, if there had been no way, there's such a such a illness in the soul to be held from one's destiny. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, John, would you would you be able to share? I'm sure that there are some moments in the whole long story, especially in the training, where you can reflect back and see how that re- that was a place where you were you became someone you weren't before you did it you know you were really cooked as they say by that part of the training or that particular initiation is there anything like that that you can put a finger on or was it all just one big flow well christina it was a big flow but i i can't speak about something right at the beginning so going I have to finish my story in terms of the goatskin and then going to my teacher and then she said, Straight after that, she gave me my white beads, which I still wear today. And then she said to me, John, we are playing the great. 
you know, he's a Kiwa, complainer. She said, you have the gift of the trance dance. And she said, you're going to become a great trance dancer. Mm-hmm. Now, if you could understand at that time, Christina, I just damaged both my knees and I was extremely thin and I didn't have much energy. Mm-hmm. So what she just said was, was quite almost virgin and miraculous, what she said to me. And I never doubted her, but I just thought, I wonder how that could be. Because right now I have low energy, right now I'm very skinny, and right now my legs are not very strong. So you can imagine, it's quite a thing to mm-hmm. say to someone. But because she had been correct on the last, all the other things she had been correct about, like my history in the last seven years of my life, and she, you know, she was a very mature woman, and I looked at her and I thought, okay, well, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. So she said to me, now this, this weekend we're going to do a Umsa band, which is a traditional ceremony, and I'd like to invite you to come to that. So I said to her, okay, mom, uh, and she told me the offering to bring, and she told me where to meet her and the rest of her, her, her students. So I went there with my, my girlfriend at the time, and it was a few days later, and everyone was gathered there in the township, and the drums started to roll. The drum was rolling, and everyone was dancing, and all these women were dancing, and I was just watching all of this, sitting down with my girlfriend, and the all the mummers, they came to me and they pulled me into the center of the room. And I had one mama holding me in the left hand and one mama holding me in the right hand. And the drums were going like unbelievable. Like that. And they were showing me how to do the dance. And they were showing me how to feel the music. And the next thing, I started to dance and I started to feel the pulse of the energy going through me. And as truth got after about 10, 15 minutes, I had the rhythm and I was dancing like them. And that's when I felt, you could say, the juice of the power. Mm-hmm. And I've never, I've never looked back from there. So I, I, I did develop into a very strong trance dancer. And I'm, I'm the main dancer in our group now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, John, can we how, shift, how, yeah? let's shift gears a little bit. Talk to us about what you mean when you speak of the ancestors. Well, when I speak of the ancestors, you, you're familiar with, in North American Indian culture, you talk about... Um, it's all our relations. Mm-hmm. It's not correct. In culture, you say it's all our relations. Well, the word, when I say to, to the ancestors, I, I mean to all our relations because we are related to all things. So the meaning of, of it is actually even yanya. In Vietnam, that is yanya. I'm honoring, I'm praising the ancestors. Now, the word is yanya. It doesn't just literally mean our blood ancestors. It also means the silent hidden ones. So it means the spirits of nature. It means the animal spirits, the plant spirits. So when we say, honor and praise all my ancestors and honor and praise the great spirit, we also say, we honor and praise all our relations, all those things and elements which we are connected to, we are honoring and praising. Does so, that make sense to you? Yes, yes. So with that, do you, I know that you teach in different, you know, vastly different geographical locations. And do yes. you experience your connection with the spirits differently in different locations? How do, how do, you, how do you experience that? How do I experience it? Well, I experience it in a very similar way each time. Yes, I do. Because the energy going through me is what we say with Tikkor, which means the great spirit. And also, the energy going through me is my own ancestral energies and my own bloodline. 
which is the Lockleys and Achilles, is where I, my teacher's bloodline coming through me because I'm adopted because of So yes, to answer the question, I feel it the same all over the world because, as we say in Kosev, Abantu Bafana, Abantu Banayo, Negazini, Ibombs. So what I'm saying in English is that everyone all over the world has red blood. We are all part of the human race and we all have red blood. So we are all connected in some way. So wherever I go, anywhere in the world, I show people how to connect with their ancestors, how to connect with the great spirits, and how to connect with themselves and with nature. So there's just there's slight differences between the different cultures and the groups of people, and those are the differences that I'm aware of. But in terms of the energy, in terms of the umoya, we call it, or the, the Holy Spirit energy, it's the same all over the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Um, to you? Pardon? That makes sense to you? Yes. So what, what I'm wondering is if we think about the, I mean, the tradition that you're trained in is, is vast and rich and old. And um, I don't mean to be insulting to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If, if you think of it, what are the three, if we just picked three ideas, and I don't mean small ideas, I mean big ideas, um, from that tradition, what three things do you think would be most valuable for people in other places to learn, what what are the th- maybe the three things of the uh, in the tradition that you think are the the most important concepts for contemporary people around the world to to learn and integrate into their own lives? Well, I can say it in close Ubuntu, Ubuntu, and Ubuntu Banayo. So that means in English is Ubuntu, Ubuntu is the depth of humanity, and the depth of humanity is that we all have red blood and we're all connected um, intrinsically in a very deep way to one another and to life. So what the Kosa what the, the, Sangoma way is, is very, very good at teaching is how people can connect with their ancestors, with their spirit guides in a very, very grounded, practical way. And they can also teach what we call Ubuntu. Ubuntu means humanity. It means humanness. But what we see is that each person has a journey in their life to becoming, to realizing Ubuntu, to realizing their humanness. So each person is born as a human being, but the quality of their interaction with one another is the quality of their Ubuntu, is the quality of their humanness. So it's very, very important um, how people interact and deal with one another with compassion, with respect, and with dignity. And the process system of healing shows us how to go about doing that. And it's very clear that it doesn't matter what color your skin is, but how you work with one another in what we call sonita, which means sacred respect in a deep, sacred way. And not just in the, in, in the world of the living, in terms of in the community and with one another, but also in the world of the ancestors. So between the people in this world and people in the next world, how do we engage one another with respect? How do we engage the circle of life? And the circle of life is between people living and the people who have passed on. So how do we engage that? How do we heal the super circle of life? And the process system shows us through Shonipa, with sacred respect, and through standing together in an equal and egalitarian way, we can realize Ubuntu Ubuntu. We can realize the depth of our humanity. So to repeat that, we all have red blood. We all have a very deep connection to one another, even though we don't realize that. And if you take the blood out of one person, say, in, in, in South Africa, a Zulu person, and you put it into, say, a London person, if they have the same blood type, 
their, the, the life of the London will be saved and vice versa. So that teaches us that we can all help one another in a very deep way. And again, the Ubuntu, the humanity, is something that, that we can strive towards. So what are the, can you just give some examples of the kinds of, the actual activities that people would do, the practices um, that people do to connect with these concepts? Well, it's not concepts. It's, it's, it's very practical and it's got to do with life, to do with nature, to do with the, the own heartbeat. So what I do with people that they come and do a workshop with me, I, I get them, first of all, to start reconnecting with the, the blood in their own veins. And the way I get people to connect with the blood in their veins is I get them to listen to their own heartbeats, to feel the pulse in their veins, feel their wrists, or put a hand on their chest and breathe in and out to their own heartbeats and feel that. Because once people are attuned or connected or aligned with their own heartbeats, then they will be connected and more in alignment with other people in their community and also with nature. So that's the first thing I do is show people how to how to meditate and how to feel their own heartbeat. And the second thing I do is I show people how to honor, honor and praise their own ancestors, their own blood ancestors. And I show them how important that is because in our culture, the absolute foundation in any human being is starting with their own ancestors. So each person has to start to feel their ancestral lines and their mother's line and their father's line and honor that, honor, honor their family lines. So that's the first thing I would do. And then from there on, I start working with medicinal plants. And I show them how the plants work and how we connect with the plants. But all through this process, I bring rhythm into this and I bring singing into it. So I use lots of rhythm work and lots of singing. And I always use the songs of the country that I go to, but I will use my African rhythms as well, the heartbeat rhythm. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, in a, on your, at one point you said that your journey is about reconciliation and that part of your job is to help to heal the past and that when people are more connected with their own spirits, there is less of a desire to destroy or put down another. And right. in, in that context, um, I was wondering if you could share with us um, what this reconciliation really means in your teachings and, and why is it so central? Well, it's central because if you think of the concept of humanity or Ubuntu and becoming more human, part of that is living with more dignity and living with more respect. And in order for us to have, you could say, lucid dreams, in order for us to make contact with the other worlds and the spirit world, we, we need to work with a great amount of dignity and a great amount of respect, not just with ourselves, but also with the people who have passed on. And not just with the people who have passed on, but also with our immediate community. Now, you have to know the situation where I was brought up. I was brought up in an extremely divided country um, where, I mean, a lot of people have heard about apartheid, sure, but when you brought up, brought up in an extremely divided country, you get to learn how important respect is. It's not just a word, but it's an action. Respecting someone else for their, for their humanity, just for their basic humanity, for being a human being and living in this world, uh, they need to be respected for that. Because if you don't do that, if you don't respect someone just for being a human being, just being who they are, then it has all kinds of ramifications. 
So if you don't respect someone else, you can't respect yourself. If you don't respect yourself, you don't respect your own dreams. If you don't respect your own dreams, you don't. it's hard for you to connect with your ancestors. It's hard for you to connect with your inner spirit. It's hard for you to connect with the divine. It's hard for you to connect with nature, and so on and so on. So in order to heal all of that, in order to heal all of that, all of that there needs to be a process of accepting what has actually happened. So in the situation in South Africa, accepting, yes, a part that happened, and it was very bad. And in order to start healing that process, instead of putting our heads in the sand to acknowledge it and say, yes, it was very, very bad, and we need to ask forgiveness from um, the people who, I mean, on behalf of our ancestors who have done wrong, we need to ask for, for forgiveness, and we need to start healing this process rather than running away from what happened. And I've noticed that as I've done that and I've entered this dialogue with the elders in my community, there's been an incredible amount of healing which has happened. So that's why I say whatever community people are living in, unless it's a community where there hasn't been lots of wrongdoing, then they don't need to go through this process of reconciliation. But in most countries, there's a lot of blood and there's a lot of bloodshed. So it's very, very important to recognize that and to talk about that and to call in the ancestors of the past, the people who have passed on, to, to say, look, let's heal this. You know, let's acknowledge this. Let's acknowledge what has happened. So, for example, in your country, in North America, there's been an incredible amount of bloodshed in terms of indigenous people who have been killed. So when I go to America and I work there, I will, I will call forth the spirits of the land, the people who have been killed and the people who have experienced wrongdoing and just say, this is what happened, it was wrong, and we ask forgiveness. The people who are living today ask that this, that we bear witness to what's happened, and there can be forgiveness for this, so that we can heal the scoop of life, the circle of life. Does it make sense what I'm saying to you? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. So another, another aspect of what you have said um, is that you don't intend to bring um, the South African shamanism literally or directly or precisely into Western culture, but rather to use its essence. And you said the techniques of prayer, dream work, and connection to nature to help people to connect to their own ancestors and spiritual traditions. So in on, on the show, we've talked about many different people's ways of doing what they do. And I think looking at that is really fascinating. But could you share, you know, what is the what are the essential techniques of prayer in your in your lineage? Well, the essential techniques of prayer for us is working with rhythm and working with um, working with a drumbeat. So, how do I bring that through into the Western world, to Ireland, to the United Kingdom, to the United States of America, to Mexico? How would I do that? Well, it's very simple. I work with a heartbeat, so I get each person to feel their own drum, their own drum rhythm, and everyone has a drum. Everyone has a drum drum rhythm. And the drum rhythm inside each person is inside their own chest, is their own heartbeat. And once the people can meditate and feel their own heartbeat strongly, then they start to walk the path of connecting with their blood. And then the next thing what I do is I, I show people how to connect with their ancestors, with their lineage, their own lineage, their own blood lineage. And I show them how to do that in a, in a, in a process of prayer. It's a prayerful process, and this is what we do in the process system. So, for example, if I was in the township in South Africa, I would be praying with some woman man, and I would say this, and 
Dianul Kikowam, Dianul Abasalibam, Dianul Ungumoya, Dianul Indetentas, Tamagu, Tamagu. So what I'm saying in English is, I honor and praise the Great Spirit, I honor and praise all my ancestors in this world and the next. So what I show people from my experience as a Sangorman South Africa, I show people all around the world how to start honoring and praising their own bloodline, their own lineages. And when people start to energize their own bloodlines and energize where they come from, an incredible amount of dignity is starts to be restored and the people start to dream. And I've seen this. I've seen this time and time again because we are energizing the other world. We are energizing where we come from. So we are starting to rebuild the hoop or circle of life between life and death. And as soon as each individual starts to do that, then an incredible amount of healing starts to take place. And then, and from there then, so these people, uh, people's dreaming begins to reignite in a sense, reshape, reform. So then how do you, what do you encourage people to do then with their dreaming? Well, there's different kinds of dreams, Christine, as I'm sure you know, coming from your background. So the dreams, each person has a destiny, right? Each person's de- destiny is unique. So I do a particular ceremony when I'm doing my workshops where I ask the ancestors, the ask the spirits and all our relations to help us realize our destiny in this world and the next. And as we say in Posa, we say, which means I ask the great spirit and all our ancestors, all our relations to open the door for us so we can realize our destiny in this world and the next. So, what I'm encouraging with each person is to listen to their dreams. So the most important thing here is to really listen deeply to your dreams, to write them down, and to start to observe them. Because within your dreams, and this is all cultures throughout all over the world, it's, it's not cultural specific, but in every person's dream, there is going to be a seed to their destiny. See, if someone is fulfilling their destiny, they're a doctor or a lawyer, or they're a mechanic, and they, they're happy with their job, then when they dream, they're going to go deeper with that. But what's very, very important is I show people how to get, you could say, an epiphany, how to get these particular white dreams, prophetic dreams. And I show people how to listen to these dreams. So I take them on the process. So number one is searching, seeking for these epiphanies, for these, for these white dreams, for these prophetic dreams. Number two is the deep, deep listening to when people start to dream and start to have these mystical experiences, or maybe even not mystical, but just listening to their dreams. So number two is listening. And number three, which is very, very important, number three is to take action. So, for example, if I just had my dreams and I never went to have a consultation with my teacher, if I didn't listen to my dreams, which said to me to go to the United States of America or go to Ireland or go to England, then I'll still be sitting in South Africa today. So the third aspect is very, very important. So when people start to get very strong dreams and getting inner guidance, they need to listen to that deeply. Their souls need to listen to that and they need to take action. So if they being guided to go and speak to a certain person, if they're guided to go and read a particular book, if they're guided to actually go on diet and eat in more of a healthy way and drink more water and actually start to lose weight, if they're guided to do that, then that's what they must do. That's their action. So I'm showing people three things, how to, how to get an epiphany, what 
we have prayer and we have dreams. And then also you spoke about connection with nature, which I realize you've spoken about a couple times already in the show. It's not that I'm not listening, but I'm wondering because what I like about what you're saying now is these are ways for people to start thinking about what actions they could take. They could listen to the show here today and pick one thing and say, maybe I'll try that. So let's do the same thing then with working with the spirits of nature. What are the kinds of things that people could, could begin right now to do? They could decide today, wow, I like what that guy's saying. Maybe I could do that. So what are the kinds of ways that people can begin to work with the spirits of nature as, as it is understood through your lineage? Okay, well, that's a good question. Thank you. I think the most important thing, in keeping with what I've said, I've spoken about respect and I've spoken about Ubuntu and humanity and I've spoken about red blood and I've spoken about the ancestors or even Yanya, uh, which also means to all our relations. So keeping with that idea that we are related to all things, the most important thing here is relationship. Relationship is most important and respectful an appropriate relationship. So, for example, you go on a walk into your garden and you have a deep, and, and a deep love for some of the herbs in your garden. Maybe you've dreamt about one particular herb. Maybe you've used it time and time again. You've developed an affinity for it. Let's say, for example, rosemary or lavender or mugwort. You've got a feeling for this particular plant. So you go up to the mugwort, the mugwort plant and you'll go with some tobacco or some barley or maybe some brown rice. And you go to the plant and you say, say your name, because for us, your name is very important. And someone's name is their fingerprint to their destiny and also their fingerprint to the universe. So you go to the plant, the mugwood plant, for example, or the lavender or the rosemary, and you'd say, my name is, and you say your full name, including your mother's line and your father's line. So if it was me, I would say, my name is John Keith J. Lockley. And then I'll speak in closer. And I'll say, I'll honor and praise you, Mugwood, Mugwood, um, Mugwood plant. And I would like you to help me with my dreams. Please show me the dream. Please show me the plant world. But I'd like to give you an offering first. So here is some brown rice, or here is some barley, or here is a bit of um, tobacco. And you put that down at the base of the plant with reverence, and you would say, I would like a mission to take a little bit of you so that I can dream tonight so that we can become friends. So you ask to take a bit, and if you get a funny feeling or it doesn't feel right, then don't take any other thing of the plant. Move on to the next plant. But what's important is that you ask. You don't just go and take something of the plant, that you, take, that you ask for permission, and also that you give an offering, and that you also say your name. My name is, this is who I am, and I'd like to develop a stronger relationship with you, and I would like you to, to show me the world of nature and the plant world. And if you don't want to, that's fine, but I'd like to develop a relationship with you. So the first thing in any relationship, human beings, for example, you knock on someone's door and you say, this is what my name is, and I'd like to, um, I'd like to invite you to my house for a cup of tea or let's go for coffee. So that way of relating is universal. You say your name to someone, my name is, and would you like to come for some coffee? The same thing or similar thing with, it, with, with nature. So with the plant world, you say your name, you put down some tobacco or some bar, you give an offering, and then you would say, I would like to have a relationship with you. I'd like to get to know you better. And then you ask for permission to take a little bit of the plant. And then you take some of the plant. Obviously, the plant has agreed. You have a sense that it has agreed. And then you 
or what you can do is you can put some under your pillow and then you listen to your dreams and you see how your dreams change. Hmm, that's lovely. I'm wondering if you can explain, I, I, I actually always have trouble explaining this, but so many people ask in, in that process you've described, why would I give the tobacco? Why would I give the rice or the bar, you know, whatever that offering is, you know, we say our name, we, we give, you know, we state our intention or we ask what we're asking and we give this offering and offerings is something that people stumble over often. And I'm wondering if you can explain your understanding of that piece of that process of that giving of something of yourself, basically, before you start asking to take. It's a very good question, Christina. Thank you for that. Um, I think it all revolves around the whole idea of reciprocity. Reciprocity is the cornerstone to traditional medicine, or you could say shamanic medicine. Reciprocity means there needs to be an exchange. You don't just take, you need to give something in order to receive something. And it's also a cornerstone to working with the natural world. And it's part of the reason why things are out of balance nowadays, because we're so used to taking that we have no concept of giving. So the natural world is in a bad way. So the concept of giving is, for us in our culture, is seen as shlonipa, which means sacred respect. It's considered very, very bad manners. Once you've had a, a dream out of a medicinal plant, it's considered very bad manners not to give an offering to that plant. Because that plant is coming to you and it's offering it's offering its soul to you so that you can use part of it for healing, to heal other people or here heal the world in a particular way. So for example, you've heard the lessons and you've heard the wisdom but you don't you don't take it further and you don't give an offering to this medicinal plant, then what would happen is that that plant is not going to offer its medicine. It's not going to offer its soul to be used for healing. So that's going to have repercussions straight away. So for us, it's seen as very, very important to give something. And when people struggle with it, Christina, I just say to them, okay, you've got friends. Let's talk in the group here. Um, how do you feel if you knock on someone's door and you say, um, give me some coffee? How do you feel about that? And even the, the roots straight away would be like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't be happy. If someone knocked on my door and said, hey, can you give me some coffee? Most people wouldn't like that. But if someone knocked on your door and said, hi, my name's, and I would like to give you, um, give you something, and is it possible for me to come and for a cup of coffee? That changes everything completely, doesn't it? In any culture in the world, if you knock on someone's door and you just say, give me, they'll be pissed off with you. But if you say to them, my name it's John, or my name's Mary, and I'm from South Africa, and I'm really lost at the moment, and I'm really, really thirsty. I could do with some, a glass of water or, or some tea. But here, I'd like to give you something from my country. I'm telling you, there are very, very few people who would say no to that. Yeah. I often say to people, um, you know, think about it. If, if, if it was a lover, would that behavior be correct? And because we we really ultimately, you know, want to be in intimate, loving relationship with all of all of these relations, with all that we are in the world with. And we're, you know, grossly out of balance. It'll take us a while maybe to get there. But I think it helps people to realize that it is the quality of these relationships. I don't remember the word you used when you were talking about, you know, the quality of the person's humanity. Our choices matter. And Ubuntu is humanity, the quality of humanity is called Ubuntu. And we, we, we craft that quality in our own lives with our choices. And that ultimately, as you've said, these, these 
everything is happening through relationships. And so we shape what kind of relationship that is, the quality of our own humanity in that relationship. Am I showing up as a, as a deep and rich and loving, heartfelt human, or am I just being an ass? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we make mistakes, Christina, and then it's okay to apologize and just make them correct. Not to harp on about, oh, I'm such a bad person and I screwed up there. You'd be like, okay, made a mistake, apologize, and you move forward. And, and maybe it means to a ceremony, maybe it means giving an offering, maybe it means giving a gift, but to apologize from your soul and then move on. Yeah, and do it differently next time. So, John, I think... Yeah. Um, we're coming up to the end of our time here. Um, so is there something else that we haven't touched on yet about what's important, really important to you in your practice or in your teachings or just simply in your message about this that you'd like to share as a final piece here? Okay, but I can actually say something very simple with you the listeners. I was, I've done a lot of work in Wales in, in the United Kingdom and recently I had a dream, a very strong dream, whereby I was sitting at a table with the ancestors who passed on, and we were talking. And I remember saying basically how how people were struggling to make a connection to their ancestors. And what the what they what they said to me, what the ancestors said to me was, I remember I kept, I kept saying to them at this table, I kept saying to them, the thing is, people are struggling to connect. And there was a lady at the table who seemed to ignore me for some reason. And I remember saying it again. The thing is that people are struggling to connect with you. And she kept looking at someone else at the table and saying, you're so beautiful. You're so lovely. And then I kept saying again, the thing is that people are struggling to connect with their ancestors. And the third time she said to the other lady at the table, you are so beautiful. You are so lovely. So when I woke up, the message was very, very clear. Uh, it's not a question that people are not connecting with their ancestors because everyone is living and breathing connection with their ancestors. But what is important is for people to feel the love and support that they receive from nature and from their ancestors. And it's important for them to breathe into that. That yes, times may be tough. Yes, times may be really difficult in, in many ways. And Yes, I, we might struggle to understand or listen or, or understand our dreams or remember our dreams, but no one thing that we are loved. We are loved by the natural world. We are loved by our ancestors. We are loved by all our relations. And what it's important for us to do is to realize that. To realize that, just breathe in and realize that. I, I also <laughs> hear in your... Yep. Your dream, the message of beauty, and and I say that often when people just get so frustrated about feeling like they don't know what they're doing, when it really is about the love that is present. We just need to be on the other side of that and give ours. But but I often say, you know, just make it beautiful. You know, just yeah. just make it beautiful because the beauty is an expression of that love and that respect and all of the ideas that you uh, have shared are, which are not just ideas. Certainly, they're ways of being and ways of living, but it all comes back to beauty in that, in that right. great grand sense of beauty. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And um, my expression of the beauty and what I've been taught is through, I sing, I love to sing and I love to dance. So any workshop that people come to in the United States or wherever, they will see me dancing 
and they would see me singing and playing my drum. And that's the way I communicated this beauty that I experienced from the ancestral world. And I can finish off um, with just saying to people in Pulsa, we say in Pulsa, Utando, Olotando, Ubuntu, Olotando, which means love is love and humanity is love. And what's important is for us to realize and become aware of our inner humanity through respect and through love. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. And in keeping with what we're talking about here, I think we need to um, uh, say thank you and, and, and honor the beauty and the loveliness of Julie <laughs> because she's doing such a good job being an interface for you here in the United States. So we, we want to give thanks to Julie Beat. And for those of you that thank want you. to... Yeah, and <laughs> just, just, just you, appreciate Judy. her beauty and her, her spirit and her generosity. And um, let people know that if you want the details of John's work here in the States, which will be m- many places actually throughout uh, the latter half of this month of September and through October, just email Julie, J-U-L-I-E-B-E-E-T, just like the root vegetable, Julie Beat at comcast.net. And she will send you the email that has all the information um, so, John, we give thanks to you and to your ancestors, to the dreaming, and, and in particular to the woman who had the courage. I mean, she didn't really have a choice. Like you said, it was the destiny. But still, that she stepped out in a time and embraced you as, as the answer to that dream she was dreaming. And we give thanks to her and her courage. Yeah. Just great courage and courage to you. I mean, it was not an easy time that the two of you did what you did. And, no, no, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. <laughs> I mean, granted, it was your destiny, but that doesn't mean it was easy. <laughs> so I want to really oh, honor sorry. and give thanks to your courage and your your willingness, both of you, to do things in new ways, do old things in new ways that we might all, that humanity, the family, you know, might might grow and benefit from that. So thank you and thank her and the ancestors um, the, and the land from which you all come. And, you know, and blessings on your mother, for hitching up her britches and leaving her home and going off to the wilds of Africa to, you know, be with the elephants. I mean, blessings on yeah. her as well. <laughs> yeah, my mother's, yeah, my mother's a Kelly, and my, my, my teacher's is mom boys, and they both get on very well, so I feel very lucky to have two mothers, you know. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, thank you, John, and, and we give thanks to the ancestors that have held us so well here today and the earth below and the sky above, and we give thanks to the energy of the heart that unites us all. Um, again, uh, truly from my heart, John, thank you very much for having the patience, um, as we got things organized and being with us here today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Christina. Hmm. And so for those of you that are listening on on our next show next week, we're going to talk about what is a shaman, um, drawing on all the different shows that we've done. But in particular, I've just come back from a gathering of shamans in the UK and just explore that question, uh, both spiritually and sort of. Uh, in our hearts and in the practicality of today's world. Um, for those of you that want uh, to send in questions about the show you, or any or ideas, you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. The show site is whyshamanismnow.com, and we hope that you will all join us um, as we go forward in the future. Thank you all, and thank you, John. Thank you very much.